I'm Chris Bach. I'm Ben Booth. I'm Christine Cavallo. And you're listening to the Steady State Podcast. Sit ready. Sit ready. Yeah. I actually kind of love that it was staggered. A staggered start. It was great. Mm, yeah. There oh, it is. Nice. Novice, <laughs> novice trio. Playing right? like yeah, yeah, yeah. The coastal out here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm Tara Morgan. And I'm Rachel Friedman. Here at the Steady State Podcast, we're really interested in backstories, real life experiences on and off the water that make people the rowers, coaches, and coxswains they are today. From indoor rowing to flatwater masters to coastal and ocean adventures, we celebrate you who represent the global humanity of our sport to disrupt and expand the narrative about rowing culture. If you're a first time listener, welcome. If you're coming back for another episode, thanks for being here. On the last episode, we spoke with leaders at DC Strokes and Melbourne Argonauts, two of just a handful of LGBT plus rowing clubs in the world. We delved into the gay rights movement in the 1990s, safe spaces for queer athletes, and why this part of the diversity issue is still relevant today. If you missed it, listen anytime at studystatenetwork.com slash podcast or anywhere you get podcasts. Steady State Podcast is sponsored in part by Live to Row Studios. Live online and in-person indoor rowing classes, training camps, and coaching for everybody. Visit www.live2rowstudios.com. A small but growing group of flatwater rowers are making a transition to coastal rowing. In 2021, U.S. Rowing voted its first ever beach sprints national team. And in 2022, Next Level Rowing appeared on the scene, training rowers who have gone on to win medals at international coastal regattas. The U.S. is just taking on this discipline, which has been raced for generations in Europe. Today, we're talking with coastal rowing rising stars, Christopher Beck and Christine Cavallo, and Next Level Rowing founder and coach, Ben Booth. So, Rachel, it's coastal time. Uh, Coastal, yes. It's it's interesting because this time of year, we are like on a fast track to flat water racing in our worlds, right? In in our boathouses, we're heading to our regional competitions. We're having scrimmages. Uh, Masters Nationals is on our calendar. But there is a lot happening in coastal. And we're about to talk to three powerhouses of coastal rowing, Ben, Christine, and Chris. Yeah, the way I think about coastal rowing is it is this little bubble of rowing that flat water rowers and indoor rowers probably don't know a whole lot about, but it is super exciting and it is exploding right now. So we're going to be talking to a coach of really like the only high performance coastal rowing program in the country and two very successful rowers that have been training with him. Yeah, let's do it. Thank you so much for joining us. Nice to see you all. No problem. Nice to see you today. Rachel and I were just talking about how right now in our world, in the flatwater rowing world, it's like all engines going, firing towards all the summer sprint racing and on into the Charles. But in your world, we are excited to talk to you and um, help our listeners figure out where they can fit into coastal because we know it's really exciting and it's global. But tell us where you are right now and what are you doing? Yeah, we're in Dartmouth, Massachusetts, when we have all assembled for a training camp. Of what body of water are you on right now for this training? This is, well, we're on the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> so, yeah, big time. So we're on Massachusetts um, South Coast. So it's a pretty open stretch of coast. We're close to, say, Buzzards Bay. We're west of Cape Cod. Um, so it's actually pretty open water where we're at here. Is there a facility where you are? Are you, you have a base camp where you are or your boats just out on the beach? We have um, what you could call a camp rather than a facility. Yeah, so the boats are all in my neighbor's yard. Um, nice. <laughs> you know, so it's really, it's it's one of those make do with what you have kind of things, right? So the boats are in a neighbor's yard or they're all down outside. We'll we'll just launch them right off, um, right off the shore and go for it. And I think that is somewhat common right now, right? I mean, the infrastructure is not quite in place for, for coastal rowing. So you're getting your boats where you can get them and bringing them out where you can. 
Yeah, but you could also look at that as a philosophical error. Um, saying that the facilities are not in place, I would argue that the facilities are not necessary entirely. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I think some people get really hung up on how to row if you don't have a boathouse. And so this is kind of a new way of thinking, just uh, kind of a, almost like a kayak mentality or some other watercraft mentality where you just put in where it makes sense and the weather makes sense and, and you got some great water. So my name is Chris Bach. I've been rowing since 2012. I watched the 2012 Olympics, got really interested in the sport. I thought it was this weird kind of crazy sport, was a tennis player growing up and I'd never seen it before. So I tried it out for the first time in 2012 uh, and really stuck with it ever since. Rode at Claremont Crew in high school out in Bethel, Ohio, for anybody that's rode club nationals out there at East Fork Lake. It's my home lake. From there, I went to college at University of Cincinnati, rode club for them for all four years I was there. And then now currently, uh, I guess you could say I'm a professional rower. I've uh, quit my quit my job, used to be in sales, uh, to focus full-time on rowing. Coastal rowing. And coastal rowing, yes. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, keep plugging that coastal. Yeah, yeah. My name is Christine Cavallo. I learned to row in 2009 at Orlando Area Rowing Society. Um, I was a soccer player and a track and cross country runner, and I got injured doing virtually everything else. And they told me I could either row or swim. And I just picked arbitrarily to stay above the water. And here we are today. Since then, I went and rowed at Stanford University. More recently, I was at the University of Oxford racing the boat race. And in between all of that, I was on, I think, seven U.S. national teams from the junior to the senior level. I was with Craftsbury as well for a little bit. That was an awesome, awesome time. And then today I am currently working for an organization called the UN Global Compact doing sustainability in the US private sector. And I also am now dipping my toes back into coastal rowing. Uh, I was doing a lot of lightweight rowing before this. So it's a bit of a switch, but it's it's been an absolute blast. All right, guess I'm up. So. Amen. Yeah, my name is Ben Booth. I started rowing way back in the 90s as a like young kid. And for me, rowing was a pathway to the water. So my real love was to get out onto the water. And the only thing I could really get my hands on as a little kid was this little tiny wooden skiff. Um, and so I just started rowing to get to the, onto the water. And I row this little, it was like seven feet long and had no business really doing anything but going out to a yacht. But I would launch it off open ocean beaches through surf um, year round. And I just love the sort of adrenaline rush of being in a small boat in big, big waves, you know, and I would do that, you know, winter, snowstorm, summer, spring, year round. And then from there, I gravitated into more adultish boats, um, surf boats, some of the traditional dories, then got into the early stage open water sliding seat boats some like the Aldens and Moss shells and whatnot. And then eventually started looking for more capable boats. And that's what got me into the international class coastal boats. And then in 2015, I actually became the first person in the U.S. to race internationally in coastal. And that was in the world championships in Lima, Peru. And I've been racing internationally and coastal ever since then. And then this year, I'm shifting more into coaching, um, which gets me to meet lovely people like Christine and Chris here. Yeah. And we're going to be talking with you a lot about that. We're going to be talking with you about next boat works and next uh, level rowing. Do you want to tag on here a little something, something about next level? Yeah. So next level rowing, it's a high performance coastal club that myself and Mark Araya started last year. And it was basically to fill a void in open water or coastal rowing um, high performance training in this country. Thank you so much for the team huddle. Now we uh, know you a little bit better and uh, we're going to dive in and find out even more about you. Longtime listeners will know that we always include a segment called Rapid Fire, a lightning round of questions we ask to help our listeners get to know you. Lately, though, the phrase rapid fire has kind of been rubbing us the wrong way. So we are welcoming a new and improved Q&A segment we're calling the hot seat. Are you ready? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So we're going to go um, Chris, Ben, 
Christine. Single, double, or quad? Single. Single. Double. Quad. Single. <laughs> double. <laughs> Thanks. Doubling up. That's what I meant by double. <laughs> mm -hmm. Bow seat, stroke seat, or engine room? Bow seat. Bow. Bow, but I normally get put in the engine room and told to mind my own business. Beach sprint or endurance? Beach sprint, but I love the chaos of endurance. Yeah, seacoast, so we can have it always. <laughs> uh, definitely sprint. I have a really hard time keeping my attention span for 6,000 meters. Unisuit or tank and trowel? Unisuit pulled down. Fair skin, long sleeves, <laughs> UV covered up constantly. <laughs> Probably uni for the simplicity of laundry. So since some of you said quad and, 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 and two of you have thought what a rowing experience, you'll, you'll be able to answer this one. Favorite coxswain command to give or receive? Ooh, <laughs> that's a really hard question. Favorite coxswain command? Last stroke? <laughs> <laughs> it's a popular answer. This race is yours. Uh, they called a move. That's funny. <laughs> Ooh, that's funny. Nice. Zing. <laughs> That was a national championship call that sticks with me for forever. Favorite place to row? The ocean. Yep, ocean right outside my house. I like the Charles. There are times that I didn't like it, but I like it now. I started seeing myself as actually local there as opposed to a transplant that was kind of dropped. It felt more like home and just over time felt like it was my place to be. Best piece of rowing advice you've ever received? Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Huh. Best piece of rowing advice. That's a good one, Christine. <laughs> you shouldn't expect to do more than 100% of what you practiced in practice during a race. It goes along with practice the way you want to race. Yeah, I don't really have a favorite piece of rowing advice, but I also lived at Shaolin Temple in China doing Kung Fu. And I think my favorite piece of advice I got there was really simple. It was don't be stupid. Sort of catch-all for everything. Mm -hmm. like, and okay. it is a good catch-all, and we can all use that on the water as well. Mm -hmm. Don't be stupid. Yeah. Okay, last but not least, favorite pre- or post-practice rituals? Pre-practice, but definitely pre-race, is a beet salad. Mm -hmm. Let's see, rowing since the 90s. Sort of gone out of rituals at this point, but... Definitely in one of those traditional oats move boats kind of guy. Uh, I kind of do an inventory and make sure I don't have any rituals. I, I want to not be attached to any sort of habit on the off chance I'm not able to do it. I don't want anything in my head thinking that that's the reason I lost the race. You know, uh, mm -hmm. I, I have had the rituals and I've purged all of them. So I'll say yeah. actually zero. Yeah, go in fresh every time. Hey, so Tara, I'm I'm actually a little tempted to ask the question we normally ask last, but I, I had scraped. Should I should I ask? You might be coffee drinkers. You never know. You never know. All right. So very important. Coffee before or after a race? Who drinks it after? I drink it after. <laughs> For what? Definitely drink it after. For, just to enjoy, relax. Perfectly timed. That's the key. Right? <laughs> you know, I have a whole thing around it. You know, it's like, don't drink it daily so you can actually use it as a performance enhancer type of thing. And yeah, the timing and the dosing and everything's got to be just perfect. Um, but yeah, it's usually for me, it's tea and it's, yeah, micro dosing before. Rachel and I are tea drinkers. So we, we are on your team. We're team tea. Team tea, team chai. Here at Steady State Podcast, we're really interested in all the decisions and the life events that lead people to rowing, uh, whether it's flat water, coastal, indoor. So we want to know what was going on in your lives when you found rowing. All three of you have sort of touched on it. What we're trying to get at is what got you hooked and what keeps you coming back after season after season after season. Yeah, I think for me, kind of going through flat water, I think always chasing a dream. And I saw it in the Olympics. I've always wanted to make the Olympics. Um, but there was definitely ups and downs to it. Having kind of dabbled in the lightweight world for a little while, anybody who's had to have cut kind of knows 
the pains and struggles behind that mentally and just trying to keep a positive attitude throughout training, throughout racing uh, in the lightweight world. And then when Coastal was introduced, it was just this revitalization of being able to appreciate the sport more, a different spin on the sport. And I honestly, just a completely different culture. I think it's a, it was a really welcoming door to anybody that wants to try Coastal. And then on top of that, it's, it's just a new challenge and mother nature is always going to be in charge um, and you don't have control over that. And so no matter what race you go into, there's always a bit of uncertainty. And I, I, I find that kind of thrilling going into every single race. Yeah, for me, I think I just really love moving through the natural world. And, and I love to do that under my own physical power. Um, and I love that the ocean environment is a true wilderness, right? Where, where that I can step in, and it's right down the street from my house and there's still civilization all around. But when I get into the ocean, it's, it's a true wilderness experience, you know, where you're not the top predator, where anything can happen. And, and I just, I love that experience. I love the experience of, of moving with my body connected to, to a boat and oars through the ocean. I've also really been drawn to sort of a, a monkish sort of lifestyle. And I think racing has this very cool sort of immersive discipline to it. And so I really, I really enjoyed that sort of almost not to get too woo-woo, you know, woo-woo, but there's almost this spiritual aspect to just completely being absorbed in, in an art form and just seeing where you can take that. Yeah. And being completely aware of your body and your body's connection to the boat and the boat's connection to the water. Mm -hmm. That's what keeps me coming back to it day after day. So I, I was doing other sports, got injured and rowing was sort of the low impact way forward for me. I was very good, very strong, had very fast erg scores very early. And so there was this inertia that kept me from leaving for a very long time. But as I was going through that process and had a few instances happen where I started to doubt whether I should continue rowing. And I also had a lot of things that sort of signaled that I was not in it for me. I was in it to make the coaches proud and the people around me proud, which was meaningful for me. And I was having, I wrote coaches names on the rigor of my boat when I was racing, but mm. there was also this absence of intrinsic drive. For me. And when I got to the senior level and was going for Olympic selection, that kind of collapsed inward when I got to that level of pressure cooker. And I did not like the sport at all, was desperately trying to retire for years and something kept pulling me back in. I needed some form of closure. I went through Olympic trials. I felt light as a feather the day that I lost those trials. Like it truly was just this switch flipped and I felt free. And then I kind of came back for a world championship. The world championship got canceled for COVID in 2021. I went to Oxford to race the boat race. And that was also supposed to be my last, last go at it with all these plans constantly retiring. And that was my narrative. And then I finally kind of successfully did so. And I started working in a career space that's very meaningful for me. And I felt so fortunate that I had this thing that I was aligned with in my professional side that I was like, oh, I thought I would never find something like rowing. And here it is, it's, it's happening somewhere else. But I also think that gave me a form of stability and security and footing for me to then look back and say, hey, your body still works. Maybe it wasn't the rowing, maybe it was other causal factors, but maybe it's not the sport itself. And so Ben and Mark were in my ear because I'd done some stuff with them in previous years. And so the opportunity kind of presented itself to re-enter the sport with a much stronger footing. And so now I feel like I have this intrinsic drive to just continue proving to myself how far my body can go while it can still go there. And that's, this is just the, the method or the medium that I get to do that in is rowing. And that's what I've chosen for it, but it's, it's definitely like a personal exploration space for me now. And so very different headspace and a healthier headspace now. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Night and day. Way fewer voices. Study State Podcast is sponsored in part by Breakwater Realty Group. Home buyers are flocking to Maine for mountain, lake, and ocean access, friendly neighbors, and above all, relaxation like you'll find nowhere else. If the vacation land lifestyle is one you'd like to explore, reach out to the folks at Breakwater Realty Group, brokered by EXP Realty. 
With agents up and down the coast and inland to the mountains, they'll provide the friendly expertise needed to get you into your next home in Maine or New Hampshire. Learn more or contact the team by visiting breakwaterrealtygroup.com. Steady State Podcast is made possible with listener support. Become a patron today for early access to episodes, discounts on SSN swag, and invitations to patron-only events. Find out more at SteadyStateNetwork.com slash Patreon. In two, we're back with Ben Booth, Christopher Bach, and Christine Cavallo. That's one, two. So I know that we wanted to talk to Ben about, you mentioned it already, studying in these temples, um, living in these Zen temples and training in Kung Fu and Tai Chi and mind-body arts. And now that you're a coach, you know, and you're kind of switching into that role, how do you bring those disciplines into your coaching methodologies? So, yeah, I mean, professionally, all I've really ever done is teach Tai Chi or coach rowing. Uh, And so to me, there are really two sides of one thing, which is basically just teaching people art and life. And so to me, it's not really a separate thing. It's not, okay, how do I fold in what I've learned and, you know, the different temples and through Zen into coaching? There's there's not even that level of separation between them. To me, it's literally just all one thing. It's like I'm, I'm teaching a way of being, and that way of being really encompasses being present, being true to yourself, which is, as athletes know, that is definitely a pathway to excellence. And it's one that allows that pathway to be through personal growth and attention, rather than through, as you know, Christine was talking about, the, the external forces. You know, it's sort of shifting that into the, the internal space, which is essentially what my Zen and Tai Chi and Kung Fu training has been all about. For Christine and Chris, you've both rowed with a lot of programs, a lot of coaches, now rowing for Ben and Mark and Next Level. How does this philosophy work for you? Yeah, so I'll touch on that. So I've known Mark for almost eight years now, I want to say. He was my coach in college and then met Ben three years ago, two and a half years ago. And I think just kind of rolling kind of the life philosophies into it was a really, really pivotal thing for me as far as training goes. And just pursuing life in general, I was really trying to balance a job at a Fortune 500 company just after recently graduating uh, and then rolling that into training for whether it's Olympics, training for Coastal Worlds, um, whatever it might be. And I've realized that and kind of to some of the points that Ben was bringing up with just the philosophy of life, uh, when you really put your energy towards the one or two things that you're really, really passionate about doors start opening that you never really could imagine that would. And again, I don't know if that's stars aligning, if that's just how the world works and that's what I'm still learning. um, Or if that's, you know, something that uh, I was necessarily taught through Ben and Mark, but it's been a really, really cool and and enlightening experience from a year ago when I quit my job until now within that time, you know, the things that happened specifically related to rowing career, winning world championships. I, it was just a dream before that. Um, And then I've realized, Hey, if you just live the life that you enjoy and that you want to live, then it can it can happen for anybody. And I think that's something that's really special um, that both of them have taught me. I think I learned a lot of these lessons the hard way through trial and error. And I'm glad that I did because now I can be in this space with this team and recognize how special it is. At the same time, I'm seeing really young athletes either in age or in their growing career come onto this team and be embraced buy it at a very early stage in their career respectively and it's interesting to see how everyone evolves when that's something introduced at those earlier points i think i think it's really awesome i think what what my experience was i learned how much of your happiness and your motivation and your drive can be a subjective thing that you say to yourself in the mirror every day and you really do have some agency there And so a lot of what we're doing and the way that this team is run and the way coastal works, like I say this over and over again, you can train all you want for about 60% of that race. And there's always going to be 40% that is mother nature. That's going to smack you upside the head if you're not acting right. And that is so freeing compared to 
what I was doing in flat water, which was just neurosis, getting to 99.9% of gold medal speed at all times, knowing that as a lightweight, you can't really go more than 102% if you ever need to turn the jets on at the end. Like it just, it was, it's a very different mindset. And so to be able to let go of things that don't matter, you actually have so much space to care about the things that do. And it's just a very resilient mindset. I think we're all learning it, even though we had different journeys to get to the this day, but it's cool to have everyone come together in like a pretty dynamic mental space at all times. Touches upon that sort of natural Zen aspect of coastal rowing is that very fact that so much of it is actually completely out of your control. And it's so, so you can look at that as this space of unfairness, but you know, because like, oh, well, this happened to that person, but not this person. That was an adverse wave that slowed them down. Or you can also look at it as just how it is, right? And you can develop the skill to actually navigate the unknown and the unexpected. And so even if the race seems unfair and it seems out of your control, and there's all these, you know, other factors that are something you can't train for, you can prepare yourself mentally for those. And so you're adaptability, your spontaneity, your detachment in the moment so that you're only ever present and you have no expectations. And I think that's one of the really cool things about coastal rowing. And that goes down right to every single stroke. Like you can't even expect the water to be in the same place it was in the very last stroke. So when you talk about being in the moment and coastal rowing, it makes that so necessarily vivid and tangible because you are literally in the moment every single stroke is different and if you approach any stroke with any sense of expectation or habit or or need you're you're not going to be able to be in that stroke you're going to be able to actualize the moment the very special moment that that stroke is exactly what you're looking for when you're a, a coastal beach sprint rower you you want some chop right you want some waves and you may not catch water on the stroke i'm assuming that happens and you just got to say like okay right and move on to the next one whereas if you're flat water and you whiff one you're like that was embarrassing <laughs> yeah that's embarrassing and i'm suddenly down a length and it's over yeah 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 it's definitely the the difference between winning and losing in some cases and you know, I think I teach masters rowers and newbies, you know, like little fragile egos. And part of teaching these fully formed adults to be free and just say, you know what, mother nature is a big part of this, even if it's flat water, you know, they're balancing their own egos and they're balancing their sense of competency and their sense of balance, literally. So it's fascinating to think about a sport where that's happening all the time. You know, I think in flat water rowing, we all hope for those really calm days where we can really dial it in and like make it look pretty and make it look fabulous here. It sounds like the chaos is the really the linchpin, like the chaos really makes it what it is. And I know when I go to regattas and it's a really windy day, our coaches would always say, everybody's got the same water. Everybody's rowing the same water, but you don't know who's trained in that type of windy water or who's trained on a reservoir, for instance. So it's, it's like, figuring out those playing fields all the time. But in coastal, it sounds like the playing field is just, you know, a toss up. Yeah. But you could, you could sit in flat water and fixate so much on the fields, or you could just go baptize yourself in the ocean one time. And then I went back to flat water. I did the boat race. I did. I then had an invite to go race the French national championships in the 2k and the 500 and won both of them. And that was in flat water. Like, it translated back and you just, it's the same sport. It's a rowing stroke. Like if you're <laughs> hyper fixated and you're down a length because you missed that one stroke, that is so much in your head. You don't even realize it until you're getting your butt handed to you out in the ocean. And you're like, why was I worried? Why am I like, this is nothing in the world is real. Like, why are we fixated on the fact that this super specific carbon fiber boat is going this speed at this, like we've created all these constructs. And I think there's a lot of like old school thought that celebrates the art form of rowing historically, which is great. Like I, I get the conservation of that, but I think when you're looking at a sport that is on the chopping block in the Olympics, we're shortening the distance in LA, which is kind of insane to me that that's okay. But you're seeing the Olympics really evolve into the space where you need dynamism, you need eyes on it, you need attention. And it's, 
Like, how do we preserve this sport in a way that keeps attracting talent who's really happy to be there instead of choking that out in the name of like making sure every single stroke is absolutely perfect and kind of creeping into where I think you're saying with these like mental tricks of, oh, what did they train in? What did I miss? There's some secret thing that I didn't get to do that they did. Yeah, there's always this sort of debate and discussion happening. And and regarding the 1500 meter distance, we've asked a number of our, our Olympic rowers about their feelings on that. And uh, Eric Murray from New Zealand, he was saying, you know, we all know the Olympics is essentially a, a marketed event. You know, it's a spectator event and, and that's a way that they can bring more people in and they can understand the sport in a more condensed way way. And Rachel and I have talked to a lot of people about how this is going to trickle down all the way down into um, scholastic and juniors and, and how the, the chain going up. But I, what I love about what you just said was, you know, indoor, coastal and flat water, like Rachel and I always kind of refer to them all at the same time. But I think that everybody is always trying to figure out, can they go in between? Can they go try something? Can they go back and forth? And one of the things we wanted to ask you guys was, what does the flat water rowing community need to know about coastal and what you just said about how it can translate back, how you can toggle back and forth. I think people feel a real loyalty to their clubs. They feel a loyalty to their community, but they're down to come up to Maine or, or Massachusetts and, and jump in a coastal boat and give it a try. So maybe we could jump ahead and just kind of address that. Like a large portion of our audience is um, traditional masters, flatwater rowers. And so what would you, what would you guys tell our listeners about what they need to know? Yeah. I mean, I think any sort of rowing, whether it's indoor, I mean, I, let's take the two classic examples, right? Indoor and flatwater. The more you train on the erg, whether it's indoor, uh, in the winter, it transfers into speed on the water, flatwater. Same thing with coastal. If you're in coastal and you understand how water works, how tide works, how winds work, how everything that actually can affect the way a boat moves, you just gain a better overall understanding. And I think one thing that I was kind of shocked at myself, I had a, a buddy who was on the Polish coastal team, Maciek Zabojski. And last year, just kind of out of the blue, he said, hey, do you want to row ahead of the Charles this year? We can row a double. And I said, oh, yeah, sure. Let's let's just go and do it. Like, I haven't rowed the Charles in years. Um, and it was literally the week after um, the Coastal World Championships. And we both fly into Boston and end up placing third at uh, head of the Charles in the championship double behind two of the fastest boats in the world, behind the American double and then one from Germany as well. And I think there was no, at least for me, there was no more clear transparency of you can do every type of rowing and it's all going to help one way or another. And I think the biggest thing with Coastal was going into the Charles, you know, the first few times I did it, it was this big, massive race. And I was, you know, kind of intimidated by all the entries, all these big names that were coming in. And and this time it was more like, okay, let's just do this for fun. And it was the best result I could have ever expected. And it transferred straight from the mentality of, oh, okay, if we miss a stroke or clip a buoy or we, you know, we don't have the the perfect race, then, okay, we just move on to the next stroke and, and enjoy it. Yeah. And I, I would just say that it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think there's just so, so much dialogue around it. That's completely unnecessary. You know, it's just, it's just rowing and it's fun, you know? And I think the vast majority of people who row are just rowing because it's fun. Um, and so I think there can be just that ease of, yeah, just go try it out. And I think for others who maybe are more sort of in that narrow end of the pyramid and they're looking for national team, flat water, Olympic flat water, I think coastal rowing is still so relevant to all the things that Chris was talking about, but also it is the absolute definition of an effective cross trainer in that it's the exact same sport specific muscles that you use in a different way. And more importantly, it's mentally so different than flat water rowing. You have so many more things to pay attention to. So you can be working incredibly hard in your sport specific muscle patterns while having a completely different neurological and mental experience, which cuts through the, the sort of mental fatigue of long-term intensive training. So I also love that you use the word fun because it is not a word we hear a whole lot at the, at the flat water masters level. You know, I'd like to think that we participate because we have 
some sort of fun. Like that's why we as master rowers pay hundreds of dollars to go to practice four or five days a week and go to regattas. Hopefully there's some fun in that, but that's certainly not a word that I hear my coaches saying a whole lot. And my teammates and I never get off the water and we're like, man, that was fun. <laughs> you know. And uh, I think that's what is exciting to me about the possibility eventually someday of getting myself over to to a shore and getting in a in a coastal boat is is the fun and being able to let go i'm going to switch gears a little bit because ben we talked to you back in uh, early 2021 with mark and the scene was different then there was kind of low level chatter here in the united states about coastal and a lot has happened can you tell us about your involvement with us rowing's coastal committee and your involvement as an instructor for the coastal coaching certification courses? I think the coastal committee with US rowing was, it's almost like we weren't ready for it, you know, because it was just such, such a background conversation, you know, it spun a little bit. It's like, okay, well, how do we build something from nothing? And, and there wasn't enough going on to really have a hook to really say, okay, well, this is happening and let's push this forward. And so I think, you know, it, it speaks to the power of grassroots sort of stuff where it really has to start from the, the people kind of thing. And so I think in those early conversations with US rowing, it just wasn't a lot of sort of base to, to build from. So we didn't see a lot from that. But one of the things we did see was, yeah, the, the coastal coaching course, which is another really great thing to start teasing people, I think, in a way. So we had you know, a number of coaches from around the country do this course and learn quite a bit about coaching, coastal rowing and getting things going. It's classic marketing. Every time you touch upon something, people think about it more, right? And so, you know, doing that coaching course was a kind of a big touch for a lot of people. You know, it's just like, all right, seriously thinking about it learning how to actually do it, um, and then thinking about how to bring that to their community. Um, and then that brought us, I think, enough momentum that Mark and I saw an opportunity to sort of open up that grassroots sort of aspect that we saw was missing from the national-driven conversation, where we said, okay, well, let's start a, a club, you know, and open a club for people around the country to do you know, camp setting training and remote training programs. And so that way we were able to take some of the national conversation and the thing that was bubbling around from world rowing, US rowing, the coaching course, and then really make something that could happen for the rowers on the ground, so to speak. And we had just a, an amazing response, you know, so we've got almost 20 people coming to Dartmouth today and tomorrow which in the grand scheme of rowing is not huge, but as far as a, I think an early sport without a lot of equipment and, and sort of visibility yet, that's, that's a big step for sure. Listen to more episodes about everything from indoor rowing to rowing across oceans. Search the podcast archive at steadystatenetwork.com slash podcast hyphen topics or listen on your favorite podcast app. That's huge. I mean, I come from the adaptive world and when we would host camps like that for uh, adaptive rowers, that kind of those kinds of numbers were enough to generate a lot of enthusiasm and then those people and their networks and then their networks and then their networks it just it it can just naturally expands out. So, for the uninitiated, we just kind of want to take a step back. Can you tell us the describe for us, Chris, maybe you could do this the different disciplines for coastal rowing? Yeah, so I'll start with beach sprints. So beach sprints style and format is a really fun, very dynamic format. And we'll use the example of the single. So essentially uh, the rower starts on the beach um, and it's about a 50 meter long beach. You sprint to your boat. You have two people that are holding the boat referred to as boat handlers. Uh, you find a fun, creative, exhilarating way to jump in the boat, basically mount your horse, get on your bike, whatever you want to call it. Um, enter the boat and then you row a slalomed course. So there's three buoys. Um, the first one will pass on port, then starboard, and then you'll do a 180 degree turn at the far buoy, which is a total of 250 meters. And then you will row a straight line back to the beach, jump out of your boat, 
dismount your horse and sprint back to the finish line and hit a buzzer in order to stop the race. So the race in total is approximately 500 meters uh, and takes about uh, two and a half to three minutes, depending on conditions, waves uh, and everything like that. Um, and then you will switch into endurance format. So the endurance format is a 4k heat. Typically there's anywhere between, I would say five to 20 boats uh, in a heat, depending on the event. Most of the time, the first buoy is, is an absolute mess. You have to imagine 20 boats, uh, bum rushing one buoy to make a turn. And then after that, the finals race is, uh, 6,000 meters. Um, and the course will change. So uh, one of the really cool things about that, whether it's a coxed boat or an uncoxed boat, uh, you do have to pay attention to, okay, where are those buoys at? So you don't get a stiff or hefty penalty. And then world rowing is still playing around with a, an official format of starts and finishes. So we've seen anything from uh, coxswains and rowers starting on the beach and sprinting to the boat to starting on the water and then vice versa, finishing on the water at a, you know, a kind of arbitrary finish line or finishing on a beach and running through a finish line. So uh, endurance is, is again, uh, still kind of forming with the start and finish format, um, but it's certainly certainly a fun time uh, to be crashing into boats and, and uh, navigating the buoys and cha on changing courses and changing conditions every day. For folks who haven't seen these boats, these are not the skinny little 30 pound boats. <laughs> I'm not, I don't remember the exact weight, but a coastal pod is very much a boat. <laughs> yeah. you know, so it's a little bit, I don't know, inauthentic to call it a shell at this point. So you think <laughs> about a coastal quad as being very much in a boat. I remember it. I, I want to say it's like 114 kilos, yeah. like the like two lightweight women, their total combined body weight is the weight of one of these boats. Yeah. Yeah. I think though, too, there, there's a mindset shift that needs to happen. You know, think about all the people that sail. You know, that, you know, the, the weight of a sailboat is not hampering the sport of sailing. Right. You know, yeah. and so yeah. I think as rowers going into coastal, we're coming with a mental handicap and that we're used to just something that you can throw on your shoulder and throw on the top of your car. And so the idea of a boat that you can't necessarily do that becomes this unattainable sort of mental riddle. But if you look at other sports, you know, like sailing and you know, even jet ski people, you know, it's like it, you find ways. Little tiny trailers are super helpful, you know, roller systems to roll it up onto your car, you know, a cart that you keep in your trunk and you, you know, roll the boat off the car on your rollers onto your cart. You know, it's really just a mindset shift that needs to happen and say, you know, I'm doing an ocean sport in an ocean boat and and this is what it should probably weigh um as that to me that's that's all it's removing those barriers and a lot of those barriers i believe are mental you know a lot of other people say oh, okay well i can't get into coastal because there isn't enough equipment here you know i just assembled boats for 20 people you know and 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 yes i have access to you know some boat building and so but there are only three of the boats are from my actual company, you know, so we're calling people, borrowing boats, you know, just just networking to make it happen. So I really think a lot of what people need to do when they're approaching coastal is approach with a more of a novel mindset and a mindset more of of wonder and naivety, sort of that sort of, you know, the, the mind of a child, which is, oh, wow, this is cool. How do we do this? You know, and approach it that way rather than that comparison mindset of like, well, this is what I've always done. And these are the 16 different ways that this is different. And these are the adjustments I'll have to make. I think just throw all that away and you'll find the ways to move what's really not all that cumbersome about. All right, Ben, I think we'd be really remiss in not asking you about the boats that you've designed. Can you tell us about them? Yeah, so actually part of my rowing journey involved designing boats because I couldn't find the boat that I wanted. You know, like I said earlier in my kind of little bio intro is I, I started coastal rowing a long time ago, you know, and I rode the surf boats and the early shells and neither of them were what I wanted, right? Surf boats are great for rowing through the surf. They're horrible for actually rowing, you know, like long distances and, you know, expeditions and just cruising around, right? And then the the sort of sliding seat boats of the time were great for rowing and 
moderate conditions long ways, but they weren't really heavy duty for going out and through surf and, and rough water. So basically what I wanted to do was row a fast boat through any conditions that, you know, I wanted to get into. And since such a thing never existed or didn't exist at the time, I basically self-taught, you know, naval architecture and started designing and building my own boats. And so I went through a whole series of prototypes until I, you know, just backyard designed and built something that checked all the boxes for me. So a boat that was fast, that was seaworthy, that I could flip and get back in just like, a, you know, a kayaker can roll their boat, something I could launch through surf but still row, you know, quickly through calmer water out to islands or, or whatever. And in the sort of marvels of convergent evolution, what I had designed was very, very close to the world rowing, coastal rowing category specifications. And so when I started looking to get into more competitive open water and coastal racing, you know, just, like I said, I was first person in the country to race internationally. And so I just found it over Google. It was like, coastal racing, you know, being, and I was like, what? There's this whole world out there of world championships. There's Olympic competitors doing this. Like, why don't we know about this in the United States? This is insane. This looks like such a cool sport. And so that's how I, I dove into the sport, um, started rowing some of the boats that were commercially available and when I wanted to race in world championships, I was able to find somebody who had a coastal boat. So I borrowed it to train. And at one point I broke the rigger, right? It was out in heavy waves and I just, you know, pour the rigger off the boat. And, <laughs> and, I, and this was an aha moment because I was devastated. I go to my wife, I'm like, this is horrible. Like, I, can't, I need to train. And she said, you have three of your own boats. I was like, yeah, but they're not the same. They move too easily. <laughs> and then I was like, ah, <laughs> boats are good. And so, you know, my, my concern was that the boats I had designed were too easy to row. So I wouldn't be as well prepared for the race. And yet they were still under the rules and the specifications for a coastal boat. And so that was just the light bulb moment. And so that's where I partnered up with Dennis Loeb's from Long Island, who was a, a husband of somebody I had met in the very small coastal rowing community at the point. And he has a entrepreneurship background and was also interested in boats and water. And so I was like, yeah, I got these great boats. And he's like, great. I'd love to start companies. And there it was. There it was. Hmm. So right now you've got a single, are there ideas floating around about any larger boats? Of course there are ideas. You know, we're still very much in that startup phase of things, you know, so still building out the shop, you know, getting the infrastructure in, in place. So, you know, we've got a good bit of orders. We've sold over 40 singles now. And so we're in that space where we have enough orders to have quite a bit of a waiting list. So we need to build up the infrastructure to build faster so we can keep up with the orders of the single and none of that really is producing the excess resources to design the double yet. So it's something that is definitely on our plan. But right now we're still in that, you know, we're in only our first couple of years here. So it's it's enough for us right now to do the single and continue to refine our processes. We're just super perfectionists about it. So we, we just want everything we do to be as top notch as possible. So we're taking our time easing into the fleet expansion. Yeah. Well, congratulations on your success so far. You know, I've been kind of watching from afar for the last couple of years. So it's been interesting to watch the development happening both with the business and the sport. I have a follow-up question to that. Who are some of the other manufacturers that are already kind of in that market? As far as other U.S. manufacturers of Coastal boats, and I'm using coastal in the specific, not the broad term, as far as the international world rowing category. I believe Next Boat Works is the only one. I think mm. WinTech is starting to explore it. And then I think in Canada, Hudson is, is looking into it. And I, I believe they've they've done some work on developing some prototype, but it's still a pretty novel thing in North America. So aside from us. Okay every other boat is imported. I know some people might automatically think that like a Moss Arrow 
or us, you know, some other crafts that we've seen that are more of a open water shell, like we've used in the adaptive world for many, many years, um, might, might fall into that coastal category. And it sounds like, no, that this is a much more uh, specific type of boat and type structure and craft. So I'd really appreciate that because I think when we are looking inside our inventory of our boathouses, somebody might go, oh, we could use that for coastal. And it's like, well, no, not, you know, not, not so much. So you could, you know, again, removing barriers. So they're not class legal, but there's certainly boats that you could do beach prints with, you know, and as long as you're, Mm -hmm. you know, not expecting to, to race that boat in an international sanctioned, you know, Postal the specific term race, you're you're fine. Sure. Like just move those barriers. If if the boat can take waves, you can do coastal rowing. You can do beach sprint format. You can do endurance format. You know, and that's a really good way to get started in the sport. Like, what do you have right now, and what can you use right now to start doing coastal style racing? Yeah, I love that. Here in the Northwest, we have uh, Sound Rowers. It's Tyler Peterson's group, and they do like a row around Bainbridge Island, kind of what like what uh, Chris was talking about, or you were talking about with the row around Hong Kong and and then these sort of long distance endurance events. And they're all manner of rowing craft that they use for Sound Rowers. So it's it's pretty fun to watch. I think a lot of times our sport growth is hampered by top-down sort of designation, right? Like the race formats that we're talking about, they're amazing. And I'm, and I'm not saying anything about those beach sprints, endurance format. They're amazing. I love world rowing, love what US rowing is doing. Like, so our governing bodies are, are incredible, but at the same time, you know, going back to the fun aspect, you know, it's like these sort of unofficial race formats, you know, are, I think are really important too. And just in that idea of the ocean is is incredible and it's vast and any way you can get out on it is just as valid as any other way. The three of you are kind of top of mind for us because you recently have been racing and had some success at beach sprint trials, you qualified a couple of boats for the World Beach Games coming up later this year in Bali. Can you talk to us a little bit about the, that recent experience and what else is on your list for coastal rowing in 2023? So there's this this fun thing every four years called the World Beach Games. It is an Olympic sanctioned event, I believe. Uh, so there's an ANOC, and you'll have to forgive me. I do not know what the full acronym is. The Association, Association of National Olympic Committees. <laughs> so, yeah, the Association of National Olympic Committees comes together with beach specific sports. So there's beach soccer and three-on-three beach basketball. And I don't exactly know how those are beach per se, but coastal rowing, beach sprints, the sprint specifically is part of it. And so this year it's coming up in August in Bali, Indonesia. The qualifier in the U.S. was back in April. The men's single is already qualified. So as a boat class, it's qualified and that will be a race event coming up to try and lock that seat in because the women's single and the mixed double were not yet qualified. We had to go through a longer process to basically do the final qualification opportunity that was held in Peru, in Lima. And so we went and myself and another athlete, Corey Rogers, we qualified the double together and then I qualified the single as well. So both of those boats are now eligible to go to Bali. We have all three of the boat classes qualified. So the U.S. will be sending that contingent over in August. Kind of interspersed with that in June, there's going to be domestic trials for the world championships. And those are an every year sort of thing. And those happen in September. And there's two different weekends. There's one for the beach sprints where you need to win U.S. trials in order to be on that team. And then there's the endurance world championships, which is actually a club-based system so instead of trying to win trials so you can go race those 4K and 6K races, you can kind of plan your season that you will be going to Italy in October of 2023 and racing, regardless of how those domestic trials shake out for the beach sprint side. So I've actually really liked it because it gives you a more reliable way to go about your season, knowing you're going to have an opportunity to race. And it's more a question of what distance you're going to be firing off in. But so... LA for US trials, Bali for the World Beach Games, 
and then Italy for the the actual world championships. It's exciting. It's like the dream season here. <laughs> Peru, Costa Rica, LA, yeah. Bali, Italy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, a more, yeah. it's a little more exciting than Masters Nationals in Indianapolis. <laughs> Do you need a, a media team that comes with you guys? <laughs> like we're we're really good at that. We <laughs> are open to it. We would love to <laughs> amplify all of this. Uh it's a it's a super intersectional space, right? So we're here, we're doing open ocean rowing, but at the same time, one of the cool things that I do want to plug is like, because these events are in coastal communities, one, they're non-traditional. We're going places that rowing has not previously touched in a way where we can possibly have new economic opportunities, new exposure, just new spaces where rowing can have a positive impact. And if we do that correctly with a mindfulness of the environment, with a mindfulness of exactly how we're trying to go about the sport as it is it has this potential to redistribute what it means to be rowing in a way that lightweight rowing did in terms of inclusion for a lot of countries when it was first put into the olympics so i think that's a that's a very dynamic thing about this sport as well as it's growing we have the chance to really grow it in a way that invites a lot of people into it and so that's as we go through this season that's something that's on the back of my mind as more people come into the sport how we can make sure that is representative for those different spaces. Yeah, this might, it might be a little too, it might be a little premature to ask this question because, you know, coastal rowing in the United States is so new, but, you know, the idea of, let's say, you know, coastal and beach sprints and exciting and people running from their boats and back to the shore and all that happening for television eyeballs, right? And and increasing viewership. But here at the local domestic level, like I think it's going to take a whole lot more to get people excited about coastal rowing. But Christine, when you're talking about these other communities and bringing sport to a place that hasn't been before at those local spaces, have you seen ways that the sport is being presented? Is it in the news? Is it in the local media? Yes. Beyond yes. I think Costa Rica had the, like, they could have put ultra music festival on that beach. They put so many resources into it. I would, at the turn buoy, 250 meters out into the ocean, I could hear every lyric to the song that they were playing from shore. Like they were hyping it up. They had an announcer come in that just like rapid fire was the most exciting, like really hyping it up. The athletes are sprinting it at the same time. They're diving on the buzzer. Like, I actually don't think it's going to take that much to get it to tick over in the U.S. Because it's fun and it is accessible and it's new. And the more people can just like bite the bullet and jump into it. That's great. Yeah. I think secondly, who doesn't love a day at the beach, right? It's Personally, coming from Flatwater, I don't like watching Flatwater races. It's 2,000 meters of the same stroke for seven seven minutes every time. Whereas when you look at the beach sprint format um, specifically, it's a day at the beach. Tons of people are having fun. Again, specifically in Costa Rica, there were people that had never touched an oar before. There we had people. Um, one of the main guys, his name was Daniel, was running, uh, helping run the event. He said, "I want to try this. I come from a triathlon background." sprinted down the beach faster than anybody had ever seen got in a boat didn't know how to row but he wanted to try he saw the excitement of it um and then surely enough over the course of you know five six seven hours of the day there were party yachts people gathering on the beach people having bonfires next to us all watching what was going on and and being interested in in what it was that we were doing um and so i think it just kind of draws this natural attention to itself within the sport but then uh it also shows, hey, we're just other people having fun at the beach. Come on in and come have a good time with us. Um, And that's, again, part of not only the culture of itself, but also the curiosity of the sport that I think is really going to kick it off in a a direction that, you know, I don't think a lot of other sports might have. So if I, as a master's athlete, say I'd really love to find an opportunity for camp so that I can get in one of these boats and give it a try. Are there options for me right now? can call Next Boat Works, buy a boat, demo a boat, or you can talk to Next Level Rowing. And we're, you know, um, Chris is doing a workshop in Maine in July. You know, um, I'm doing stuff here in Massachusetts all the time. I mean, you know, we 
next level rowing, we're focused right now on high performance stuff. You know, the the way we're set up is to allow people from all over. You know, so it's like we we you don't have to be local. You can be, you know, we, our athletes are all across the country. We get together in these these periodic camps to do you know intensive training sessions. Um, so we're always an option for high performance. And then you know, Mark and I and and Chris a bit are doing you know more entry level workshops here and there also. And a lot of that is ad hoc. So it's just a matter of kind of reaching out. Give us a shout, you know, Dennis over at the shop at Next Bowworks is always game for demoing stuff, even if it's just to try try it out. Will we see you at all, see the boats at all at any of the big events this year, like Head of the Charles as just a way to you know, actually, promote? U.S. Running is doing this really cool thing now where they are opening space at some of their regattas for mm-hmm. demo events. So at Youth Nationals that's coming up in Sarasota. So there mm-hmm. will be a demo there. So Next Boat Works will be there. I believe Swift, Lightboat. So a lot of the Postal boat manufacturers will be sending equipment there. So that is going to be open event for people to try out the boats from multiple companies, you know, right there at the event. So Very yeah, cool. I would also recommend people to, to reach out to US Rowing too, you know, and just say like, yeah, we're interested in coastal rowing. What, what do you have going on? What demos? Just so that they're constantly getting pinged with it too, because I know they're, they are putting more effort into it. And so if they get that sort of positive feedback loop from the community, you know, they're gonna be buoyed in those efforts also. Thank you for chatting with us. And we will be following what's going on with you this season. Good luck with all of your racing. Race fast, have fun, hopefully bring home a couple medals and good luck. Thank, Thank you, guys. you. Appreciate it. To see photos of Chris, Ben, and Christine, and to get links to the people, club, and events mentioned in this episode, check out the show notes on our website. Steady State Podcast is sponsored in part by Concept2, making world-class rowing products since 1976. Find out more at concept2.com. Barb, for short hair styling needs on and off the water, find Barb at thebarbshop.com. And EB5, the online community helping those seeking a green card through the EB5 visa program. Find out more at eb5investors.com. Hey, Tara. Yeah. I think some listeners might not know that Steady State is more than a podcast. Yes, we also get together on Instagram Live for coffee chat every Friday morning at 8 a.m. West, 11 East. We bring that post-practice coffee with teammates vibe online to talk with the community about all things rowing. Grab your favorite mug and add your voice to the conversation. And make plans to visit us at the 2023 U.S. Rowing Masters Nationals, July 20th to 23rd in Indianapolis. Get more info when you subscribe to our weekly e-newsletter. This episode was written, produced, hosted, and edited by me, Tara Morgan. And me, Rachel Friedman. Tara provides additional audio engineering and is our sponsor coordinator. Rachel manages our website and social media. And our theme music is by Jonas Hipper. Between us, we have nearly 40 years of rowing, coaching, and coxing experience, and we run successful rowing-related enterprises. Tara is the founder of Seize the Oar Foundation, which champions inclusion in the sport of rowing through team training, outreach, and thought leadership. And Rachel is the founder of Rose Stores, designing unique rowing gear for individuals, clubs, and events. Find us on Instagram and Facebook at Steady State Network, Seize the Oar, and Rose Stores. Coming up on the next episode, we visit Chicago Rowing Union for part two of our Pride special. CRU is a Midwest's only LGBTQ rowing organization and one of just a few such clubs in the world. CRU member and social media manager, Michael Tuploff, talks with us about the importance of safe spaces and being yourself, finding community and competition on the water, and proudly flying the flag at regattas. In two, way enough. That's one, two.
from the top. All right, I'm switching this up this time. Whoa, don't know why I haven't lately. All right, ready? Ooh, spicy. <laughs> I, I have this very confusing thing. Um, I put my computer on do not disturb, right? Which means no sounds. Yeah. Should come through. And this uh, Outlook account that I have, every time a new email comes in, it does this really annoying thing. And I don't know where you turn that off. Like, I don't even want it anymore. Right. I don't I care. Right. I haven't heard it. On my end. Oh, you don't hear it? I have not heard it, but I also have oh. not great hearing, but I have not heard it. So it just happened when you said that sentence. And that's and... why I asked you to re-record it. Mm -mm. No, I didn't hear oh. it. Oh. Because we were doing the interview the other day and it kept happening. And I was like, fuck. And I'm yeah. like up there like, and do not disturb, do not disturb. And it's not doing it. So, okay. 